book of Galatians chapter 6. The book of Galatians chapter 6 and we will begin reading in verse 11. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 11. When you got it, say so. And the word of the Lord says, See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, but only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the whole world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth, God, that sets us free. We thank you for your grace and for your kindness, Lord God. And Lord, we just ask you this morning that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church. We pray, Lord God, that you would be glorified in us, and God, that you would help us to be not only hearers of your word, but doers, Lord God, that we would live out the truth of this gospel, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would help us, Lord God, to hear what you're saying to our lives as a people, Lord God, as individuals, and give us the faith to live it out, my God. I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, and that you would be glorified. I pray this all in Jesus' good name. Someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. You might want to knock me down a little bit in the house because there's some kind of feedback going on there, Ben. Um, if you don't have an outline, please raise your hand and our ushers will get you an outline. Make sure that you have one. It's important that you do have an outline and that way you can follow along in the sermon. Also, you can take notes. I think note taking is very important. And for those of you, raise your hands high if you don't have an outline so we can make sure we get you one. And for those of you that are new here today... Um, we have connect groups, which are our small groups, and those are the groups that we get together, and we meet weekly, um, and we discuss the sermon. And so if you are not in a connect group, I highly, highly encourage that you become part of a small group and that you'll be able to connect with the body of Christ. Pastor Chad, who led us in our communion, um, he is the one who leads our small groups, and he oversees them in general. And so you can get with him, and he will help you get connected with the right um, small group that is probably closest to your house and works with your schedule. So that is our goal. So if everybody Everybody has their outline say amen. amen all right now let's follow me along in the outline here today's going to be the last message in our Galatians series and so as we um, close out this this um, this series I want to talk today about a message entitled the harvest of grace and so we've gone through all of these things in the book of Galatians and we've seen what God is communicating and I, I, I just want to touch on verses 11 through 15. What I really want to deal with is in verses 6 through 10, but right now, uh, verses 11 through 6, uh, uh, 15, the reason why is because the Apostle Paul, and this is in your outline, the Apostle Paul closes this letter still focused on the message of grace with a few reminders to the Galatians. 
And so after all the things that he's written to them, after all of that, the first thing he show, he tells them is he reminds us in the beginning, or he reminds us of what we learned in the beginning, and it is that the Apostle Paul is the one who wrote this letter. There is no question that he wrote the letter. He makes a point. When you look at the way that the writers wrote Greek back in the day, in our, in our writing system, we have what is regular, you know, what, what is, I don't even know what the word for it is, but it's when you learn like your ABC is just regular, right? Just like just before you learn cursive, what is that called? Printing, there you go. So we have print and we have cursive. And so in the Greek, there's three different things. But anyway, I'm just going to give you two. One of them is where they do like a style of cursive. It's really for fancy, educated people. And actually, there's two, two styles of cursive. There is the one that is for someone who learned that style. But then there is the one for the really educated and smart people. And so usually what the Apostle Paul did was he had somebody write. If you read his, if you read his books uh, that he's written or his epistles that he's written, you'll notice that he'll say this was written by so-and-so or you know he always tells you who he is dictating to but Paul decides that he is going to write in this script or he's going to write in this print in the Greek and so it's different letters they're about an inch big and they're you know a much different writing and the apostle Paul makes it a point to tell them I wrote to you in this way and there's a reason for this it's because Paul wanted to make sure that number one that they understood that he was writing the letter number two that he was showing his personal concern for them the reason why he took the time is because he wanted to be there. Remember, he says earlier in the middle of Galatians, he said, I'm like a, I, he, he said he was like someone who was in birth pangs over them, wishing that the character of Christ would be developed like a father. And so he really was, was wanting, wanting to be there. And so obviously he couldn't be there physically. So what he did was he took the time to write this letter. Another reason why he talks about how big these letters were is because when you look at um, the Apostle Paul, you remember earlier he talks about the infirmity that he had in his eyes remember that and so obviously he couldn't write as small as someone else so he's pointed that out to them but he also wants to let them know that he is personally committed not just to them he doesn't just want to be there with them but he is also personally committed to the message of grace he wants them to understand that the second thing that he lets them know is that the true motive of the Judaizers look at verse 12 here he says as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh these would compel you to be circumcised only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ for not even those who are circumcised keep the law but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh and so the second thing he reminds them of is the true motive of those who are communicating to him and letting him know or, or, or communicating to them and trying to turn them away from the gospel and make them depend on works. He's letting them know the true motive for them is self-glorification. They want to glorify themselves and say what? Well, you know what? We came over here and we began to communicate and all of these people are following us because for these people, it's all about the numbers. You remember Jesus? He says that you go all across the world to win one convert, to bring them to a place and you don't even live what they are what they are being called to live you remember when Jesus said that right and so what happens is these are the same people who got converted and believed in Jesus but they also believe Jesus plus saved them and so the first thing is, it's for self-glorification. The second thing is, it's for self-preservation. It's because they do not want to suffer ridicule or persecution for saying, I don't have to keep the law in order to be saved, but I can trust in the work of Jesus Christ. 
So they don't want to hear that. They don't want to be persecuted. And so it's not about them um, adding anything to the Galatians. Because remember, they come to the Galatians saying, keeping the law makes you more holy. Keeping the law makes you more righteous. It wasn't to make them more righteous. It wasn't to make them more right before God. It wasn't to make them more holy. The purpose or the reason that they were um, communicating was because they wanted to bring glory to themselves, glory to their false gospel, glory to their own teaching, and they wanted to do that in the way that they would do that is by saying these people are following, but also by turning people away from the true gospel, making them be circumcised, making them commit back to the law that they were liberated from, if they could get these people, because remember, these are not Jewish people that we're talking about, right? We're talking about Gentiles, amen? Right? And so we're talking about people who are not under the law in the beginning anyway. They're not people who knew the law. So imagine how much glory I get if I can take people who never even knew the law to now try to live the law 100%. So they're trying to bring glory to their name. And then the third thing the Apostle Paul shows us is that grace is a product of a bloodied cross that Jesus bore and died on. And if we are his, we must accept that sacrifice as enough for our salvation and our identification. Look at what he says in verses 14 and 15. He says, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And so Paul is, is reminding them that the reason why we have freedom is not because of the laws. The reason why we have freedom is because of what? It's because of the bloodied cross, because of the bloodied Savior, because of the one who was beaten in our place, because of the one who suffered for us. Because of him and because of him alone, we are considered righteous. Because of him and him alone, we can, or in him and in him alone, we should boast. We should never boast in our good works. We should never boast in what we've done. We should never boast in how holy we are. When you find yourself boasting in how holy you are, you have missed the mark of grace. You have missed the mark of what grace has really done in our hearts. And what, we, and, and what Paul says is he says that I have been crucified by the same cross. And what he's talking about is that when Jesus dies on the cross, anyone who puts their faith in Christ, what happens is they identify with that, with that sacrifice that Jesus made. And now, because I come to him, I am crucified with Christ, and now I become a new creation, which, what is, which is what the Apostle Paul reminds the church about. And for us as a church, it becomes the same thing for us. We must be reminded continually of this glorious gospel. We must be reminded continually that every one of us, whether we want to admit this or not, are sinners by nature. And not just by nature, but by our actions. Someone say amen. Because all of us, it wasn't like we were just born into sin and you never sinned against Jesus. Trust me, you sinned against him before you came to him. And if you have come to him, now now hear me now, if you haven't come to him yet, you are still sinning against him and you are separated from him. And don't get it twisted. Jesus died, but he is waiting for you to put your faith in him. Understand this. It is not simply hearing the gospel that saves you. It is not simply knowing what Jesus did on the cross. It is putting your faith in 
in Christ. It is trusting him with all of your life. It is realizing, yes, I am a sinner. I am separated from God. I am not good by, by and in and of myself. I am needy of a Savior. And the only way that I have salvation, the only way that I have deliverance is through the sacrifice of Christ. And then what happens is I put my faith in him. And when I put my faith in Christ, listen now, you don't just put your faith in him and stay the same. You put your faith in him and you turn away from some other stuff. You turn away from your sin. That is how you know. Listen, that is how you can measure. Have I put my faith in Jesus? It is not because you are perfect. My friend, you and I will never, ever be perfect. But what we can do is we can measure. Have I put my trust in the Savior? Have I put my trust in Jesus? Am I living a life that is different than before sometime? Hello. Sometime in my life, I came to know him. And if you haven't come to know him, if you haven't put your trust in him, the beauty of the cross is that while we are separated from Jesus because of our sin, and while we are hopeless apart from him, the cross is the greatest invitation. One of the things that is, the pictures that I see is while Jesus is hanging on that cross, I see this open arm invitation to anyone who will come to him, anyone who will put faith in him, anyone who who will trust him. His arms are wide open saying, come to me and find rest. Come to me and find salvation. But don't just come to me and look at, wow, that was amazing love. That was awesome what happened. But what are you doing in response to that revelation of the cross? Are you living your life for yourself? Because then we identify with Christ. And that's why Paul says, he says, I have been crucified to the world and the world to me. In other words, something happened when Paul put his faith in Jesus. If we could just recap for a moment, when the apostle Paul put his faith in Jesus, he was on his way to Damascus. Y'all know the book of Acts? We went through that. And he was on his way to Damascus with what? With letters in his hand to persecute the church, to arrest people, to have them killed, to put them in prison for the name of Christ. He was all about glorifying God. And when he encountered Jesus, he 100% did a 180 and turned away from the way that he was walking and could care less about pleasing man, about pleasing those he he was in cahoots with before because of the law. He wanted one thing and one thing alone, and that was to bring glory and honor to Jesus. And listen to me, when you have an encounter with him, it is not that you will be perfect afterwards. Read Romans chapter 7. Paul says, the thing that I will to do, I don't do, and the thing that I want to do, I don't do that, and I don't. And it sounds really confusing because you know what? We will struggle with sin, but here is the reality. The reality is by grace, we can live in the power of the gospel. We can live in the power of what Jesus has done for us. And so he lets us know that it is in the cross of Christ. We identify with Jesus. He is our identity. Paul says, I will never boast in anything else but the cross of Jesus. And our lives should be the same way. No matter what accolades we get, no matter what promotions we get, no matter how much money we have, no matter the car we drive or not. Listen, it doesn't matter if you're walking. It doesn't matter. You should boast in one thing and one thing alone, and that is the cross of Jesus. In your outline, it says here, grace must dominate all of our lives, which is what I'm trying to communicate. But that can only happen when it has gripped our hearts and overwhelmed our minds. Just as we cannot fabricate or manufacture the fruit of the Spirit, which we dealt with a couple of weeks ago, we cannot produce the effects of grace in our lives. 
Understand this, my heart, your heart, the reason why I remind you weekly of the gospel is because it is my prayer that as I, with all of my heart, communicate what Jesus has done, that you'll be reminded of how awesome he is. That you will be reminded of how amazing he is. This week past, I had a, I had a really good opportunity to go to um, the 33rd Street Jail and to share my testimony. And, you know, it's been, I, I have to be honest with you, it's probably been at least over 12 years since I've, you know, really just shared my testimony. I preach all the time, and I don't want to tell you guys every week, you know, where I came from, so I'm not going to share my testimony every week. But what happened is when I went in there and I was sharing my testimony, I was reminded of where Jesus saved me from. I was reminded of the glory of the gospel. I was reminded of something that was amazing, that, of how God tore me out, how I should have been so many different things. I should have been incarcerated. I could have been, you know, all these different things that I could have been in my life, and I'm not. And it's not because I'm so great. I was headed in that direction. It was simply because he intervened. It was simply because he stood in front of me and made me turn around. It was simply because he loved me with an everlasting love and so he pulled me out of that darkness he liberated me from the plans of the enemy and gave me this life that I have and so what I encourage you to do is remind yourself listen talk to somebody about where Jesus saved you from share with somebody where he delivered you from because that will help you to remember not just you know conceptually what God has done but actually what God has done and then out of that, you come into this place and you understand what the word of God teaches. And you become overwhelmed by the truth of the gospel that I was a sinner who was separated from God. I was a violator of his laws and he died in my place and with open arms welcomes me in. And once I come to him and trust him, he no longer knows me as that sinner and as that violator of his laws, but he knows me as a child of God. He doesn't look at me to, to tell me I need to make up for loss for days that I sinned against him. He doesn't look at me like that. He simply looks at me based on the blood of Jesus. Is that not awesome? But see, here's the thing. For, for, for in your heart, is that awesome? In your heart, does that stir you? When you get up in the morning and you think about the goodness of God, or are you so overwhelmed by the problems of life that you can't even glorify him for his grace? That you can't even think about how wonderful and good he is. Is that something that overwhelms your heart? Because if it's not, he wants to overwhelm your heart with it. Because until our hearts and minds are overwhelmed with this glorious gospel, we will never see the effects of the grace of God in our lives. Sadly, in our days, many people either ignore the graciousness of God seen in their lives because we don't even recognize what it is that God has done. We don't recognize what it is that God is doing. We're like, where is God? And we, and, and we look at so many different scenarios that we've talked about in the past, and I won't go through all of those, but so many places where God is present in our lives. I think someone posted on Facebook um, about a, a guy who was sitting down at a light, and as he was sitting at this light, you know, the light turned green. And when the light turned green, something, you know, he was just like, man, I'm just not, I'm not going to go right away. And he doesn't go right away, and the person next to him takes off and goes and gets slammed by somebody, and, you know, just who, who took off in front of him. And he just recognized, man, that was God making me pause and just wait a second. Instead of being in a rush, right, and trying to run through the light. I've told you those stories about, you know, being behind those amazing angels. Amen? You know, those angels that keep you late, and you're like, man, why can't they move out of my way? Those non-driving angels, amen, I'm just saying, right? You know, those that you'd be like, man, I'm in a rush. You should have just left earlier, amen, somebody, right? So, I mean, ultimately, you know, we get behind those angels, and we start to realize, man, you know, I, I, I got to be somewhere. But then you keep driving down the road, and you recognize this, this re 
ridiculous, crazy accident that happened. And you think about it, man, if I would have not been behind this amazing non-driving angel, what would have happened to me? I could have been in that accident. I could, it could have been a fatal situation. When I look at my life and you look around, you know, it's so awesome like when you go on missions and you start to see the way other people live because then you really start to appreciate the grace of God that is seen every day in your life. You stop thinking in terms of, I need so much. You start thinking, man, I have so much. But when you get stuck in your little bubble of life, and listen, I know that gets, sounds a little offensive, but when you get stuck in that little bubble of life and it's all about you because that's what really happens, then what, then, then what happens is we begin to ignore the grace of God. We begin to ignore his graciousness. Or the other thing that happens is they attempt to refute the, um, God's graciousness because of his justice within his character. In other words, because there is judgment that God executes and he can't be gracious at the same time, which is not true. God is being who he is and he is demonstrating grace. And when we look at our um, outline here, what we understand is that God not only is gracious, but he wants us to experience experience a harvest of grace. What does that mean? It means that God wants all of our lives to experience his grace. There is no area of your life that God doesn't want his grace to manifest. There is no area in your life that God doesn't want the power of his spirit, the power of his character to manifest. The question is, will you and will I trust his grace? Let me say this. The harvest depends upon many things. When we're talking about harvest, what we're talking, you know, you think, think in terms of farming, and you'll understand why we, we're going to get there in a minute. But when you think about harvesting, harvesting is hard work. Say it's hard work. Someone's got to get out there, and when Paul was writing this and he's talking about harvesting, he's not talking about you sitting on a tractor sipping lemonade. All right, I've told you all that I like Little House on the Prairie. I haven't seen it in a while because I saw all the episodes. Obviously, they're not making it anymore. But the one thing that you can appreciate is you learn some things. Like even, you know, not modern day like today, but even during the times when, you know, Angles, I can't remember his name right now. But when he was, when he was back there preparing the ground, you remember how he was looking? Out, there was one episode, his hands were raw. He was behind Charles. There you go, Charles Ingalls. Thank you. He was, he was behind his, his mule or his horse or whatever. And, his, and, and as he's back there, you know, he's holding on to these leather things and he's got this plow. And so he's keeping everything in order. And as this, this, this animal is pulling, so thank God, you know, God allows the animal to pull and you don't have to pull. Hello. Just imagine for a moment if you had to be the one pulling that plow. I mean, I mean God is gracious. Amen. And so it's the same thing. God gives us the power that is beyond ourselves. That is the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. He gives us the Spirit of God. That's why Jesus says, come unto me and find rest, right? And so he is the one who pulls the weight of the plow, but you still have to be part of the process. It is not just him who does everything. He says, you better hold on, and you're going to experience some difficulty. Mind you, while you're back there, guess what that animal is doing? It's not like he comes, turn around and said, time out, I got to go to the bathroom. That, that's not what's happening. He's defecating all the, the whole time you're back there. He's using the restroom. It's nasty work. I'm just saying. Right? And so when Paul is talking here, he is communicating in this harvest language. And that's what I mean by a harvest of grace. And so the harvest depends upon things that are out of our control, but it will never happen apart from our effort. Did you hear what I said? 
The harvest of our lives depends on things that are outside of our control, but it will never come to pass without our efforts. In other words, the harvest depends on what? It depends on the rain. It depends on the sun. Do you control the sun or the rain? Only two people don't. I'm just saying. Someone else does. Amen. Come up here and tell me about it. But, but, but here's the thing. None of us control the rain, right? None of us control the sun. No, none of us control the weather that is going to be there. But here's the thing. God still says you got to plow. You got to sow. You got to weed. You got you to be part of the process. You do. Don't be like looking at, well, you know what? The, the weather forecaster said I shouldn't do this. And in our lives, in the, in the natural sense here, not dealing with the harvest in that way, but dealing with the harvest of our lives, we start looking at all of our problems, all of our situations, everything that is going against us or everything that is not going our way, and we start to think, man, I'm, not, I'm never going to be able to see you know, what it is that God wants me to see because A, B, C, and D, and all these reasons why not. And God says, don't worry about A, B, C, and D. Let me take care of A, B, C, and D. You worry about what you need to worry about, which is being faithful to what he gave you. And so let's get through this text here. In verse 6, it says, Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And so verses 6 through, six through 8, they say that, say this with me, say, you can know the harvest to expect by the seed that is sown. You and I can know the harvest to expect by the seed that is sown. Listen, if I sow apples, should I expect bananas? That would be dumb, right? I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna to sow, you know, avocados, and I want watermelon. That's crazy. Makes no sense at all. And so it's the same thing with our lives. What, what Paul is communicating is he's letting us know about this principle of sowing. So you and I can know what we're going to reap simply by what we're sowing. That's, that, 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 that's simple, right? Okay, so first of all, in verse 6, I'm going to say this. The Apostle Paul continues his thought on, of bearing each other's burdens in the relationship between teacher and student. Look what he says. He says, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches the word. And so let me give you some, some interpretations that have been there. There are two interpretations of this this particular text. Most interpreters, and I probably read six, and four out of the six say this, and then there's two that say something else, and I'll tell you where I am on it just so you can know my opinion. You can make your own opinion of it. It really doesn't matter to me. I just want to let you know what this scripture could be saying to some people or whatever, but here's what it is. Most interpreters of this scripture say that this refers to the student or the one who is being taught sharing their material possessions with the teacher or the one who shares spiritually. Now, the Word of God shows us many references. I won't give them all to you now because it really doesn't matter. If you'd like to look at them, you can. But the Word of God is filled with places that the Bible talks about us. And when I say us, and I'm saying us, it's saying us taking care of our spiritual leaders financially. There's a tons of scripture that, that communicate that. From the Old Testament, you bring it all the way to the New. It's there. The principle is there. Paul calls it a right in many of these places, meaning that it's something that a leader, that a leader who is a preacher and teacher, um, first, first Timothy, communicates it very well. It talks about, you know, those who labor in the word and in doctrine, let them, you know, receive double honor and all those things. But here's the point. The point is that many people believe that what the scripture is talking about is that, is about you sharing financially or materially. In this case, it wouldn't necessarily have to be financially, just be sharing in the goods that you have. Now, 
The problem with this interpretation, and you can kind of see where I'm going with this, the problem with this interpretation of this particular scripture that way, this is the issue with it, is that nowhere preceding the text and, no, and nowhere proceeding the text do you ever hear any communication that the Apostle Paul has about money. Nowhere in the book of Galatians does he say anything about money. Now, I'm just trying to give you some good hermeneutics so you can kind of know where I'm going. I'll probably lean on the side with the other two. I'm just saying, you know, but I could be wrong. I'm just, I'm just saying, but I doubt it. But anyway, this is the thing. <laughs> this, 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 this is the reality. The reality is that when you read the context, remember we said the first time, that I, the first message, right? I said the context gives you the right interpretation of the text so that way you can get what? The best application of the text. That's why context becomes so important. So context matters. And so when I look at the context, it would be like Paul. And then the thing is this. If he were to like interrupt like abruptly and just like change the whole tone of what he's communicating, wouldn't that make like a big difference? And don't you think that the apostle Paul, he's a wise guy, right? I mean, I think think he's a pretty smart dude. I think that he would probably expound a little bit on this, right? But he doesn't. And all he says is that the student should, uh, that, that, that he was taught the word should share in all good things with him who teaches it. When I look at the next verse, what he says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever man sows that he will also reap. And so what I'm understanding is that Paul is communicating unto us and letting us know, listen, if you are a hearer of the word, listen to me, I benefit from my study and my reading of the word of God. I benefit greatly. My life bears fruit because I am in his word, not because I'm perfect, but because he does something in me as I read the word of God. Therefore, what should happen, and this is my understanding of the text, is that you should share in all good things with me. In other words, the reason I pray for you not to be hearers of the word of God, but to be doers of the word of God is because I don't want to be blessed and you're not. You understand that? I want you to share in all good things. I want you to experience everything that the Word of God has. The reason I preach isn't because of any other reason except I want to bring glory to Jesus and I want to bring edification to your life. Amen? And so what happens is the apostle is communicating and he's talking about sowing. Here is the most important principle in this section is the undeniable law of sowing and reaping. Look what he says. He says, do not be deceived. Why does he say this? He says this because people were, were thinking, well, you know what? It doesn't matter who I'm listening to. Did you hear what I said? It doesn't matter who's teaching me or who's preaching to me. It doesn't matter what I'm listening to. No, Paul says, do not be deceived. He says, do not be deceived. He who sows to the flesh is going to reap what? Corruption. He who sows to the spirit reaps eternal life. Remember what happens. These false teachers come in get the attention of many of the Galatians, and so now they're listening to the false teachers and they're coming to a point where they're like, well, it really doesn't matter. You know, we believe in Jesus, but we'll keep listening to these guys because we like what they're saying. Time out. Paul says, no, don't be deceived. And when, when, when he talks about this, what he's saying is, he says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows of the Spirit will of the Spirit reap eternal life. And so this law is there. Obviously, when he's talking about sowing, he's talking about sowing all of our lives. So what do we sow? We sow our finances. Amen. We sow our time. Amen. We sow our talent. Amen. 
We sow all of those things. Those are all things that God has entrusted us with. And so what sowing means is investing. And what he's saying is he who invests to the flesh is going to what? He's going to reap corruption. Now, what does he mean when he says to invest in the flesh? What he means is when, when, when he's communicating, he is saying he who sows with his eye on the flesh. Or he who sows with his eye on the spirit. In other words, it is me sowing to my flesh. It is me looking at what? It's looking at what my flesh wants, not what the spirit wants. He who sows to the flesh, he who sows to the flesh reaps corruption. And what he's saying is, listen, do not be deceived. No one is going to sow carnality and reap spirituality. And vice versa. Nobody's going to sow spiritually and reap corruption. He goes on and he says, I, I just want to make this point. When he says here that he will reap everlasting life, that's really important, right? I, I would think that that's pretty important. And when you look up that word everlasting, it is the word eternal or everlasting, and it means with no beginning or no end, and it says life. And, it's, and, 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 and what I want you to understand is that Paul is not talking about reaping eternal life in the future. He's talking about experience eternal life now. Are you hearing me? When you and I become believers, we are born again how? The Holy Spirit comes to live in us. And so the life of God lives in us. And so we begin to experience this eternal life now. And what Paul is saying, and, and if you look in the book of John chapter 17, when Jesus is praying and he's talking about eternal life, and for them to have eternal life is to know who? To know the Father. He's communicating a truth, and he's letting them know. He's, he, Jesus is praying this, and he lets us know that eternal life is not something that we're waiting for. Eternal life is something we, be, we begin experiencing the moment we put our faith in Jesus. In other words, God wants us to experience some, not all, say not all. He wants us to experience some of heaven while we are here on this earth. Amen? Second thing, repeat this after me. Say a harvest of grace is not a harvest of ease. A harvest of grace is not a harvest of ease. So we want to experience the harvest of grace, right? We want to experience all that God has. Look at what he says in verse 9. He says, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season, say due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And let us not grow weary. Why is he telling us not to grow weary? Well, here it is. A natural tendency for new believers, I know I was one of these, is to think that this new walk will be easy. Someone lied to me. I'm not going to tell you who it was. But someone lied to me. They said, this is the easy road. I'm like, really? And I was excited. I'm like, yes, I've been on a hard road. I want to walk on the easy road. And let me, let, let, let me, let me tell you like this. At first, it was real easy. I mean, I, you know, getting in with God, it was awesome. I, I can tell you, I, I remember one day, I, I'll never forget this. Um, one day we wanted to go to a youth service that was in like some other church somewhere. And when, and, and when I, was, I was praying, I was talking to my friend. I'm like, man, I don't know how we're going to get there. And I was like, God, you know, we just asked you to bring a ride. And I promise you, five minutes later, some dude pulls up in a van and he's like, hey, we started talking to us. He's like, what are you guys, you know, doing? I'm like, well, we're trying to get to a service. He's like, oh, I'll drop you guys off. It's like, glory to God. I'm like, God, you got my back. Like, this is awesome, right? Let me tell you something, that happened once in my life. Because <laughs> after that, right, and, oh no, I, I have another one, I'm sorry, I have two, and it, this is going to sound so carnal to you, right? I promise you, this is going to sound real carnal, I'm warning you, okay? This is going to sound very fleshly. One day, I'm by myself, right? I'm like, God, I want to go play basketball. 
Remember I told you I used to pray about getting a haircut? See, God said, you don't need a haircut, just shave it all off. I'm like, glory. I'm just, he didn't tell me that, but he took my hair, so I figured that was his answer. But anyway, so here's the thing, okay? One day, I'm like, I'm going to go play basketball. I'm by myself. I'm not even with anyone. As I walked outside, this is exa- I'm telling you, a little raindrop hit me because, you know, Florida, around 3 o'clock every day in the summer, it rains, right? Somewhere around that time. A raindrop hit me in the head. And I, and, I, and I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, just give me 20 minutes on the basketball court. That's it. Got to the basketball court. I played 20 minutes and started pouring. I'm, t- I'm telling you, I was like, glory to God. Hook me up with a ride. Let me shoot some hoops. Amen. My God is good, right? Listen, this is a relationship. You're like, Bishop, that's in the flesh. I'm just telling you what happened. I don't know. Call it a coincidence. At that moment, I was encouraged. I'm like, God is hearing me. I'm like, I don't want to be all over here bawling all day. I just wanted a little bit of time. I'm going to tell you something. I prayed for rain to stop, and it hasn't stopped again. I don't know what happened. But anyway, maybe I lost faith. But here's the point. The point is, you come to Jesus, and you start to feel like everything is going to be easy sometimes. It's not true. You'll know. Listen, can I tell you the truth? Sometimes when you come to Jesus, the road gets even harder. Things get even more difficult. But the beauty of it is you're guaranteed he's walking with you. See, he doesn't promise to get you off the road. He promises to get you through whatever it is you got to walk through. That's what he promises. He promises to take you through whatever it is you got to go through. He's going to get you through it, and you can know he's going to walk with you, and that's a beautiful thing. Because in those moments when you are doing, what Paul says is, do not grow weary. Why does he say don't grow weary? It is because for many of us, it is the same way. We start to do right or we're doing good or we're doing things. And, and, and what we begin to do is we begin to cease doing what's right because we don't reap in the time frame that we have. But what we need to understand is that while we are required to plow and to sow, and to weed and feed. I love weed and feed because it kills the weeds and feeds at the same time. And that's the word of God. That's what it does. Amen? It kills those weeds in our life, and it feeds our spirit at the same time. It shows us what does not belong, and it gives us the right things. We we are called, you and I are called to do what? We are called to sow and plow and weed and feed, and we're called to make sure we continue forward. But you know what we don't do? We don't control when the harvest comes. We just have to be faithful till it comes. In whatever area of our life, and he says here, I love the word. The reason why I had you, had you repeat it is the word due season. That word due season is the word kairos in the, in, in the Greek. And so there's two words for time, right? Kronos, which just means like what time is it? It's the chronos time, whatever time it is at any time. But then there is the kairos time. And the kairos time is a set time or a specific time. And what he's saying is you will reap in God's kairos for your life. At the set time, God knows exactly. Hear what I'm saying. God knows exactly when that, whatever that situation is, is going to end. He knows exactly when you are going to reap the benefit here and now for whatever it is you've been sowing in your life. He knows that exact time. But what happens to you when you decide, well, you know, man, I haven't seen what I'm going to see, so I'm going to go another direction? What happens? We don't experience what God wants us to experience. We don't experience the goodness that God has. We don't experience his grace in those areas. We become doubters instead of believers. That's the reason why you need to read scriptures like this. And remember, do not grow weary in well-doing. Continue to do whatever it is that God has called you to do. Continue to obey the scriptures. Continue to obey from your heart whatever it is that God has communicated in his word or to you specifically until you see the fulfillment of it. Amen? 
The third thing, repeat this after me. Say, the harvest is not all about you. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, the harvest is not all about you. Now look back at them and say, neighbor, the harvest is not all about you. So as you see, when we think about harvest, right, we think about harvest time and we start to think, yeah, I'm going to get my harvest, I'm going to get my breakthrough. No, it's not all about you. It's not all about me. We sing a song, you know, it's not about us, it's about Jesus. It really is. But here's the thing. When I experience God's harvest for my life, is it all about me or is it all about him? And not just all about him, but isn't it all about others as well? I mean, I get the benefit of experiencing this harvest. I mean, you know, the scriptures talk about, you know, he who plows should plow in hope. Amen? In other words, when you're working, you should plow with a hope. You're going to experience, but you shouldn't make it all about you because when it's all about you, you will quit prematurely. You will get mad. You will give up. All kinds of things will happen when you are thinking it is all about you. It is not all about you in the end of the day. It is all about the glory of Jesus. Look what he says in verse 10. I love this. Verse 9, he, you know, he, he says, don't lose heart. Don't grow weary. Continue to sow. Continue to do that. And you will reap at the right time. Amen? Verse 10, he says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. The greatest challenge for us when we are fighting our own spiritual and emotional fatigue is to sow and sowing towards our harvest is to think about others. Listen to this. Too often, we want to believe that we must reap fully before we can sow faithfully. Too many of us are waiting for a perfect life in order for us to do right. Too many, too many of us are waiting to have no debt. Listen, you don't want to have no debt? Stop spending. I'm just saying. You don't want debt. I mean, you get rid of debt. Stop spending. Stop buying. Stop, stop swiping. Hello, swiper, no swiping, right? I mean, Dora the Explorer. I mean, I'm just saying, just use it to your advantage, whatever you got to remember right now. Next time you go to swipe, you're going to think, swiper, no swiping, right? Listen, here's the here. But, but, but many of us think, I have, to, I have to get full. I have to get mine before I can give anything. Before I can do anything, before I can be faithful in sowing, I got to have more time to be able to give sometime. I got to be able to have more talent to be able to give whatever little bit I have. I got to have more money to give more. And, and, and we have the wrong mindset. Paul tells them here, first of all, God is not mocked. You're going to reap what you sow. Second thing he says, don't grow weary in well-doing. And then the third thing he says, so he's telling these people, get your mind right. He's telling them, don't, don't give up. And so he's talking to people that could potentially be tired and worn out, and then he tells them, if you have opportunity, if you have, when you have opportunity, as a matter of fact, the way it reads in the Greek is it's actually communicating, seek opportunities, look for opportunities in order for you to do what? To do good to others while you are weary, while you are tired, while you need help yourself. You should be looking for opportunities to bless other people. Here's the thing. I love this. I love this so much. He says, he, he tells him, he says, therefore, when we have opportunity, circle that word opportunity there. I mean, just underline it, highlight it, because you know what? It is the same word as the one due season. And look what he's saying here. You and I are waiting for our kairos, right? You know what he says? 
while you're waiting for your kairos, be a kairos for someone else. Are you hearing me? Be a kairos for someone else. In other words, be a person who is seeking God. You know what, God? I'm waiting for my due season. I'm waiting to see this harvest overflow in my life. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to look for kairos in other people's lives. I'm going to look to be the blessing in someone else's life. And listen, being that blessing in someone else's life, I, I like to say it like this. Whatever it is that you are in need of, begin to sow that towards someone else. You need encouragement. Don't wait to be encouraged. Start encouraging people. Did you hear what I just said? You, 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 need, you, you need a pat on the back. Start patting folks on the back. Amen? You might forget you need a pat on the back. I'm just saying. But the point is, make sure that you are doing. Rolando was talking about that. He was saying, look, you know, I desire this. And he's like, and I make sure I give that to my sons. And so what does he communicate? He, 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 he likes to be appreciated, right? How many of y'all like to be appreciated? Is there something wrong with liking to be appreciated? I just want to say no because I don't want you to think that that's a sin or anything like that. It's a sin when your appreciation becomes an idol. When if you don't get appreciated, then you get a little attitude and you got your head down like, oh, nobody appreciates me. That, that's wrong, okay? That's whack. But, 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 but what I'm saying is you need to have the right mindset, the right heart. But what, what, Paul, what Paul says to them is he says, when you have opportunity, let us do good to all. So who are we supposed to do good to? Everyone. We should, be doing, we, we should want to do good. It doesn't mean doing good saves us. It means that doing good does what? It blesses others. Doing good blesses and honors, and, and it blesses others and it honors God. I love what one writer said. He said something that was really awesome. He says, to do good to all, I mean, not what well, Paul says this. He says, to do good to all, especially those of the household of faith. So what does that mean, church? Here's, here's what that means. That means that you are sitting next to someone who is praying about their due season. Amen? You're sitting next to someone who's seeking God and asking God for some things, who needs some things in their life. And so, first and foremost, you should really have a heart to see your brothers and sisters blessed. Amen? Because you know what? They are seeking God and they are pursuing God. But here is the other thing that you need to understand. When he says to do it for all people, we need to make sure that we are looking not just for our brothers to bless, but that we also bless other people outside of our brotherhood. Amen? What one writer said I thought was really nice. He said that your service or your gift or your sowing makes room for your witness. And so sometimes when you are simply sensitive to the moment and to the opportunity, then you know what you're able to do? You're able to sow something into someone's life. You're able to be a blessing into someone's life, and you make way for your witness so your words carry weight. Amen? I close with this. The Apostle Paul could glory in the cross because he knew the person of the cross, he knew the purpose of the cross, and he knew the power of the cross. The reason why Paul said, I boast and nothing but the cross. It wasn't because he knew a story. It was because he knew a person. And because he knew that person, he understood the purpose of the cross was to liberate him from his sin and to be able to bring liberation to others. And he didn't know the purpose or the person, but he also knew the power. So my question to you is, do you know the, per the person of the cross? Do you know the purpose of the cross? And do you know the power of the cross? Stand to your feet and bow your heads, please. I want to pray with you, and as we close this series,